there is a little community in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma, all right? Is anybody from Oklahoma here, if you're watching? Anybody, you can put it in the chat, anybody Oklahoma? Because I want to know if you know where this is. It's called Mooreville. It is so small that there isn't even census data for it. Tiny town. The closest town to Mooreville has 335 people in it. So this is, kind of, this is kind of like, this is not near the cities, this is kind of out in, out in, the, in the country, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and so Mooreville probably has a population of 100 or less. To, it didn't even get census data. But I believe that there is a Mooreville that has a population in the billions. And it is the place that most of us find ourselves residing a place where we want more, more. More money, more kids, more success, more wins, more opportunities, more dates, more promotions, more views, more clicks, more likes, more influence, uh, more A's, more playing time, more scholarship offers, more cars, more houses, more toys, more Legos. I want it all. I want it all. have that guitar in there, that air guitar. The question that we have to ask ourselves in this Mooreville that we all live in is more than who? Who do we want more than? Because there is always someone on the other side of more. The reason we want more is more is available. If you and I lived in just this closed world where our neighbor had an identical house and identical cars and we had identical amounts of money and we didn't even know that there was an outside where there was more, would you want more if you didn't know there was more? There's always somebody. And once you have knowledge that there is more available so often we we want more than now I know what you're thinking Carter listen if I just had that job if I just had that much money in the bank if I just had that many followers if I just had that relationship then I'd be fine but I want to I'm here to tell you that our residency in Mooreville often has little to do with how much we have it is about the reality that there is more. Because here's the problem in Mooreville. There's always someone with more. Because here's what I say. You're going to get that job, and then there's going to be another job. You're going to get that much money, and then there's going to be someone with more money. You're going to get that car, and there's going to be someone with more. Your kid's going to get that scholarship offer, and there's going to be someone with a better scholarship offer. There's always someone with more. In 1997, Ted Turner pledged to give one billion dollars to the UN. Do, do you know how much a billion is? Now, I, if you're like me, you just say like a million dollars and a billion dollars and I'll have neither, right? Like it's just, it's just a lot. Let me tell you the difference between a million and a billion, okay? 
a thousand seconds, a thousand seconds is 16 minutes and 42 seconds, give or take a second. That's a thousand seconds. A million seconds is about 11 and a half days. Okay, a million seconds is about 11 and a half days. Do you know how long a billion seconds is? Any guesses? Just shy of 32 years. <laughs> That's the difference between a million dollars and a billion dollars. Okay, so I just wanted to give you that context. So Turner pledges to give a billion dollars to the UN, and someone asked him after he made this big speech and did that, said, said, how does it feel? It must feel great to be able to have so much that you can give that away and you can be generous to, to give to something that you believe in. And this was his response. Feel great? Well, I feel like I have nothing compared to Bill Gates. There's always somebody with more. And what I want to talk about is just exactly what he said is that by the end of our time today, what I, what I hope that we'll see is that there is this pointless pursuit in something called comparison. Comparison. It's easy to get our identity wrapped up in who I am compared to that person. Do I have more than them or less than them? Who am I compared to that person? Am I more popular than them or less popular than them? Do I have more friends than them or less friends than them? It's easy to get our identity up in how I measure up to other people. And this starts in middle school, but we don't really ever grow out of it. It just changes. In middle school, it, we compare ourselves to the kids who hit puberty first. They start developing a little bit. And the boys who have can run a little bit faster and jump a little bit higher. And then in high school, it's the kids who have the cooler clothes or they're the popular kids. And then in college, it's who's graduating on time or who's graduating with honors. And then it's who's, why are they getting engaged more quickly than me? And why are they getting married more quickly than me? And why are they having children more quickly than me? And why are their kids more talented than mine? And why do they get to go on more vacations than I do and man and here's the thing we, we never grow out of it because mostly what we do at night is scroll on the phone and just compare 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 and a lot of bad decisions a lot of bad decisions are made because of comparison we put things in our body that we don't want to because of comparison. We, um, we go into debt to buy things that we don't need but we think we have to have because of comparison. We take jobs just to get a better paycheck without thinking about the ramifications and repercussions it's gonna have on our family life for comparison. We have affairs because of comparison. Comparison Comparison never leads to good decisions. We never make a good life decision when we're making a decision because of comparison. And, and here's the thing about comparison. I've, we've been talking about how it flows up. There's always somebody with more. Comparison flows down too. Because sometimes it's not just we're thinking about I got to get somebody. Sometimes we compare ourselves to make ourselves feel a little bit better with people that have less. Well, at least I have more square footage than them. 
At least I've had been more successful than them. At least my kids are more talented than theirs. At least my office is more spacious than hers and more spacious than his. But here's, this is a losing game because you will never find the sweet spot on the continuum of comparison where you have just enough people below you and just enough people in front of you. And that's why, what do they say about comparison? Comparison is the thief of joy. It'll steal you. You can't find peace and contentment. It never satisfies. And the problem with comparison is that it's a lie. It's not my true identity, who I am compared to them. It's not your true identity, who you are compared to them. And it's not who God created you to be. God never thought about comparing you when he made you. He made us eight billion different ways with eight billion different little pieces of the image of God implanted on our soul, imprinted on the way we look, the gifts we have, the talents we have. He doesn't compare us to anyone. We are 8 billion image bearers. So before we dive into Scripture today, I just kind of want to put a stake in the ground of something that I believe is so important and why this issue of comparison is so damaging in our culture. And I know it's more serious than ever before. Comparison corrupts God's creativity. It, it, It defiles the creativity that God had in you. When we compare ourselves to others, we discredit the God, the, the God of the universe, the creator of our hearts, the creator of our souls, because we are saying, God, the way you made me and the piece of image that you put in me and on me isn't good enough. It corrupts God's creative force. And we're going to see that King Solomon said that It's a road to nowhere, and we'll drive ourselves crazy chasing this comparison because it's it's not where we were supposed to go anyway. So King Solomon was a king who had everything. He, He had unbelievable riches and wealth. He is the king who God gave the job to build the temple. His father, David, wanted to build the temple, but God said, no, that's not for you. It was Solomon's temple. And this is the coolest thing. Solomon, it is said, was the wisest man on earth. In fact, this is what 1 Kings says about Solomon. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Wouldn't you love for that to be said about you? I mean, like a breadth of understanding, like it, it was so great. Like he could, he could see the world in ways that no one else could. Solomon's wisdom was greater than all the wisdom of all the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else. What, wouldn't you love for it to be said of you that, listen, you can combine and compile all the wise people on planet Earth and This one person's wisdom is greater than them. So you would think, you would think a king 
who had a kingdom, who had more riches than anybody else, who had a temple that was the envy of the world and the God of the universe was present in the temple. You would think a king who was the wisest person on earth, you would think he would be so content and so satisfied. And yet Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, which pretty much tells that he found that so many of his pursuits left him void, empty, meaningless. So much of his life because he had put his identity in things that could never fulfill him. And I think that Solomon saw this comparison trap in his own heart and maybe he compared himself to other kings maybe he compared himself to 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 other rulers i don't know but he saw what a pointless pursuit it was we're going to look in ecclesiastes chapter four we're just going to do verses four through six it's just just a few short verses that pack a punch and we're going to start out with just the first part of verse 4. If you've got your Bibles there at home watching, thanks for joining us uh, and us and welcoming us into your lives. If you're here and you don't have a hard copy Bible, there are some bookshelves when you leave that we would love to, uh, to give you. So we hope you'll take one when you leave. <clears throat> this is what he said. And I saw that all toil and all achievement Solomon says, I see that all the striving in the world, all the, all the blood, sweat, and tears that people are putting into things spring from one person's envy of another. It is because, it is because they want more. They want more than them. But, uh, Solomon says, I mean, you would think he would be content and happy but he says it's all about envy it's all about them wanting more more than her more than him more than them that so much of what we do the striving in life is about comparison to others and here's the crazy thing here's the crazy thing that I think is true about this pursuit of more this this envy in us this this comparison that we do here's the crazy thing about it we find ourselves trying to be like people we don't even like. You don't even like them. You try to be like them. I don't even like her. But I gotta have that person, those shoes she's got. I don't even like him. But I gotta have a car like he's got. I don't even like those people but we need to move to the neighborhood. Have you ever asked yourself, have you ever asked yourself, teenagers, have you ever asked yourself when you're scrolling and thinking, oh, I gotta do what they do, or I gotta be like them, or, or I, gotta, I gotta have what they have. Have you ever asked yourself this question, adults, when you think you gotta have something because somebody else has got it? Why in the world am I trying to be like people I don't even like? Now, I know what some of you are saying. I thought we we're supposed to love our neighbor. Yes, but aren't you glad Jesus didn't say like your neighbor? <laughs> we're 100% supposed to love them. I'm not sure we like anyone. We find ourselves trying to be like people we don't even like. And, he, and here's the, the quest, uh, the reason this quest is such a pointless pursuit anyway. Listen, listen to what 
Solomon says in the next verse. This chase, this, this striving and toil of, that's driven by envy, this too is meaningless. And the reason it says too is because if you read Ecclesiastes, you're going to see so much of what Solomon found that he tried to fulfill his life with is meaningless. This too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. It is a road to nowhere. It is a nothing burger. Nothing. You'll get there and you'll eat it and you'll still feel empty. You'll still be hungry. You'll catch it and you'll have a handful of wind. It's nothing. It doesn't get you anywhere. You'll catch it and it was nothing to there to start with. Can I confess to you that pastors struggle with comparison? Pastors struggle with this chasing after the wind, this envy. You get a gathering of pastors together, and we'll start meeting each other, mingling around, drinking coffee at some kind of preacher's meeting. Well, what church are you serving? Okay. It doesn't take long. You know what question's coming, right? How many of y'all running these days? <laughs> we got size up the room, right? See, see, how, see how many people that we, we feel like we can compare to them. And I, and I struggled with this early in my ministry. And it has taken me a long time to learn that I am never going to be as fit as Craig Rochelle. I'm never going to be as trendy as Stephen Furtick. I'm never going to be as insightful as Andy Stanley. I'm never going to have the wardrobe drip of T.D. Jakes. I'm never going to be as smart as Timothy Keller. I'm never going to be as cool as Judah Smith. I'm never going to be as hip as Mike Todd. And my smile is never going to be as big and white as Osteen's. Hey, listen. I'm married to a dental hygienist. We tried. Like, it just, <laughs> we just can't get there. And it took me a long time to be okay with that. If you're new to church and new to faith, you don't know who those guys are. They're all mega church pastors. And many of them are awesome leaders who I have learned so much from. But it took me a while to realize I'm not going to be them. And that God doesn't want me to be them. It's a chasing after the wind. And the bottom line I want to share with you today, and, and I'm not quite done, but let me just go ahead and share this bottom line with you because it's so critical. If you chase being someone else, you'll never arrive at becoming you. That's why Solomon says this is such a chasing after the wind because it, their journey is not your journey. And if you chase being someone else, if you try to be someone else, then you will never arrive at becoming the you, the unique you that God created. God had a vision when he created you. He had an idea, and you will never find your purpose in him until you are at peace with your unique identity that he created in you. And we can ruin ourselves in this pursuit of comparison. We will get ourselves in debt over our head to have a better car, a better house, or kids in better shoes. We will kill ourselves dieting 
or do whatever we else can to alter ourselves physically to look less like ourselves and more so like someone else. We will damage relationships with our kids to push them in arts and sports and academics so that they can be better than those kids. We'll strive for a promotion at work at the expense of our family and we will hurt ourselves spiritually trying to be hard to be someone and beat someone instead of being grateful for this one. You, and listen, this is what I thought. You represent a part of God's image that only you have. And if you spoil it by trying to be someone else, we lose a little bit of the image of God that we can only see in you. Comparison corrupts God's creativity when he made you. Now, you can, it's like, well, I mean, you know, well, then I just, because if you're sitting there, you're like me, you're like, what about work ethic? What about ambition? A little ambition never hurt anybody. What about drive? That's how we heal diseases. That's how we do great things. That's how we solve huge problems in the world because somebody had ambition and somebody had drive. And Solomon would say, absolutely. And you will ruin yourselves if you just fold your hands. This is what Solomon's saying. There's a difference between contentment and laziness. Being okay with who you are, being content with who you are, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to try to be the very best version of myself. This is what's so interesting about this, and there's this beautiful word picture that Solomon's going to close it out with. He says, listen, if you, are gra- if you were doing this and you were chasing it with both hands, that is You'll ruin yourself trying to be somebody else. It's all out of envy. But in the same regard, if you just sit down and fold your hands in your lap and you just decide to be lazy, you will also ruin yourself. What Solomon's saying is we need you to be the best version of you. We need you to be the very best version of you. And then so he closes this out in verse 6. And I love this the way he says. So like, well, what do we do? And it's so simple. He says, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Solomon said there are two ways that you will spoil the image of God in you that you will ruin yourselves. If you chase after the wind and you can say, I'm going to take life by the horns and I'm going to grab it and I'm going to be the best and I'm going to beat him and I'm going to beat her and I... Solomon says, you, I mean, listen, you'll, <laughs> you might get where you think you want to get at the end and you're holding it so tight and you'll get there and you'll open it up and you've got a fistfuls of wind. And it's meaningless, pointless. And in the same token, Solomon says, if you just sit back and say, well, so what, so nothing matters and I'm just going to fold my hands and put them in my lap, you'll ruin yourself. And Solomon says, why don't you try it this way? One hand. What if you just grabbed life by one horn? And I want you to work hard. And I I want you to strive. And, And I want you to go after it with all you've got. But would you just leave this hand empty? Better 
better one handful. I got one handful of life, but with tranquility in this hand. What Solomon's saying is you can't, you can't attain peace, tranquility. You can't attain identity. It can only be given to you. And if you would just grab life by one hand and leave one hand open for God to give you what only he can give you, then you'll have rest for your soul. Because if you chase being someone else, grab it. You'll never arrive at becoming, you didn't leave room for God to define you. And you'll never arrive at becoming you. And this has never been more important, this has never been more important than the digital world in which we all now inhabit. Because when I was growing up, and for many of you, if you're my age or older, the only people we had to compare ourselves to were actually the people in our hometown, maybe the neighboring town. But now kids every day get to, they get to compare their, themselves to every teenager on TikTok, every teenager on Instagram, and it's not just kids, it's adults too. We go on Instagram and their family photos they're unbelievable. Their, their vacation photos on Facebook look like they belong in Southern Living. And ours, we couldn't even get one with everybody's eyes open or without a WWE wrestling match breaking out. <laughs> like, like our question to our friends isn't, how did you get your picture so pretty? How'd you get your picture without a fist fight? Right? And it's so easy for us to look at this and, and it feels like that is just our world. That's why I love this, I love this tweet that I saw a couple of uh, months ago from Dave Adamson. He's just such a leader in the digital ministry world. He is brilliant and he's a great dad. And it's this, he, he does this all the time. He's a great follow. And he, he always puts it, stuff I want my daughters to know. And I just want to say stuff I want my sons to know. Stuff I want our college kids to know. Stuff I want our high school and middle schoolers to know. Don't let the internet define your worth, crush your optimism, dull your perspective, become your world. Don't let it define who you are. Let God define you. It's not real. It's not who you are. It's not your identity. No matter it feel, how much it feels like I have to measure up to them, they, they are not who God created you to be. And if you chase being someone else, you'll never arrive at becoming you. And I know there are pressures to compare ourselves. There's pressures in our company to be the best at sales. There's pressures in our family to measure up to, to dad's career or mom's career or our brother or sister's career. There, there's pressure with friends to, to put my kids into this training so they can do this or to have this kind of tutoring so that they can make this. There's so many pressures. But I just want to tell you, that, that game is a losing game. It's a chasing after the wind you will never have peace and contentment by chasing 
to be them. You have to leave room to be defined by him. And so in the, the spirit of this, um, this passage, we wanted to give you something to kind of uh, put in your hands every day, something, something to, to just define you every day, uh, to remind you of who you are in Christ, to receive this identity in him. Because I don't want you to leave here and think like, well, I just don't have to do anything. No, we got to work, right? Because we all like eating and air conditioning. We got to work. We got to strive. I want you to have ambition. I want you to be the best you, but I want you to leave this hand open. In fact, I, I just thought about this. Teenagers, adults too, when you're sitting there and you're scrolling through your phone like this and you began to feel yourself getting into the comparison game, I wonder if you just take one hand off that phone and just go, God, I know that I receive my identity from you. I, I'm not going to hold this life with both hands. I'm going to receive it from you. So when you leave today from the auditorium, we've got something that um, we want to give you. It's just a little static cling to put on your bathroom mirror to remind you of some truths every single morning when you get up, or maybe you want to put it on a kitchen window over the sink just to remind you while you're standing over there uh, doing dishes or pouring out your coffee cup. Because here's what I know. It's not just, it's not just a, an idea. It is about filling our lives, filling this open hand with the truths of God. So we're going to close today before the band uh, leads us in a singing gyro one more time that because God is enough, we are enough in him. I want to invite you to stand. And we're going to put some scripture truths on the screen. And we're just going to read them together. Because I want us to be reminded that we are not who we are when we are striving to be compared to them. We're open. And our identity is rooted in him. So would you just read these with me? With the confidence of the children of God who bear, who bear a unique image of our creator. I am created in God's image. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Jesus loved me and gave himself up for me. In Christ, I am forgiven. I am free. I have divine power to demolish strongholds. I can be transformed with a renewed mind. The Holy Spirit lives in me. In the darkest valley, God is with me. I have been sent on a mission from God. I have a peace in God so great that it passes human understanding. God has given me a spirit of power and of a sound mind. God is for me. We say that one more time. God is for me. You are enough because he is enough. And I will be content in every circumstance because he provides my identity. Yeah. Heavenly Father, thank you for the identity that we have in you, Lord. We praise you this morning. We sing praise to you, the Lord, our provider, who gives us his image 
Thank you, God, for creating us the way you meant to. Help us discover it in you. Amen.